podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. It's a bumper show this week. As well as talking about all the bands, bust-ups and big performances from the past seven days, we've also got Sir Alistair Cook on later to talk about England's prospects in New Zealand and the growing challenge of opening the batting in England. First though, a warm welcome to two regular guests, Wisden Cricket Monthly magazine editor Joe Harmon. Hello Ben. And uh, Wisden staff writer Tara Hashim. Hi Ben. Yeah, good. So we're going to start with me this week and my moment of the week, which is England's uh, series winning Super Over against New Zealand on Sunday night. It was a, a great game. I don't know if either of you set up to watch it. Uh, I didn't stay up to watch it. I have to admit, you, I you? was I was still recovering from watching the uh, the fourth one. <laughs> uh, yeah, I give it a miss. No, I I, I did stay up, and uh, I think I might even be to blame for some people having not stayed up because it was raining at about midnight and looked like the game would be a washout and it'd be a a series draw. So everyone was sort of saying, just go to bed. It's not worth it. And then the most like sort, kind of incredible sort of futuristic game unfolded. Where it was like. One four, one four, five plays one four five. And, did you uh, tell people to go to bed then? I did. I said, I said going to bed probably a good idea. Yeah, oh, Ben. Yeah, I know. <laughs> a lot of angry people this week. <laughs> no, well, I think I think they mostly thought that it was good for the game of cricket, even if they had gone to bed. That this this thing had unfolded. Unless they were from New Zealand. Well, well, yeah, that, yeah that's true. <laughs> yeah, I- Ian Smith just sort of slowly, slowly deflating as it went on, and he realised what was going to happen. <laughs> and Jimmy Neesham just as he bowled the final ball to send uh, to send it to a super over, just kind of. First put his head in his hands and then just kind of started laughing. I saw that footage, <laughs> that was great. Yeah. Uh, but if, if I had to pick one moment, it would be Morgan's catch in the uh, in the Super Over itself. Because it kind of looked like even at that point it might again be a tie in the Super Over. And that he great, he's great that he still cares so much, yeah. isn't it? I mean, he could have just strolled off into the sunset after that World Cup win. But he's obviously wants to sort of do the double, effectively, the T20 World Cup next year. Uh, and looks kind of fiercely determined like when he gave that interview to Rob Key at the end just after the World Cup final it felt a little bit to me like he was kind of starting to draw a line under the whole thing and he, he admitted he was going to have a long hard think about whether he was going to carry on in the job but it's good to see he's still got that fire in his belly for a five match T20 <laughs> series in, in New Zealand well he's still one of England's best T20 batsmen um you know I mean we'll come to Dowd Milan's century later but you know or Morgan was you know arguably you know he was he was matching Milan you know shot for shot um, and uh, at one point there was a fear that Milan had just broken the, the record for the fastest T20 century by a, an Englishman and Morgan was going to sort of break it just a few minutes later. He's more, it seems to me Morgan's more important as a batsman in that T20 team than the 50 over team. That's my take on it. Just that he he fulfills a role as a kind of late order hitter that actually England lack a little bit because that's not really Stokes' natural game. Whereas in 50 over the cricket, they've got Stokes who can kind of almost bat through the middle period and then accelerate and also Butler bats in the in the middle order in the 50 over side but will probably open in the T20s when he's back when he's back in I imagine it's hard to know I mean England have a tough choice to make because they're so top heavy in in 2020 cricket yeah because because Ben Stokes is more a top order player in 2020s as is Butler and then you've got Roy Bairstow as well so you've got kind of four players you're trying to either cram into two slots and leave a couple out or you've got to pick which one you want to bring in lower down and it's quite a tough decision I mean for me although Butler is probably the best opener of all of them he's also the one most he's coming lower down so he's the one that you then kind of sacrifice to do that but for some people mm. that's sacrilege for England for me yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> you got uh, quite a lot of stick on Twitter for your, your T20 team didn't you not least from me well, <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, I was going to say mainly from you <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> That's a good way to put it, though, isn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, but I, I agree. M- M- Morgan maybe could be the one to do that coming down the lower. And I think from this T20 series, I mean, maybe Sam Curran has shown he can do that as well. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe Lewis Gregory didn't really had an opportunity here, didn't he? But didn't, didn't quite take well, it. Well, poor Lewis Gregory, two games didn't get a bat or a ball. Um, so <laughs> yeah, but I guess I guess that is the lot though, and it's almost of of that sort of finisher role, and it means that it's kind of unfair that you then have to take your options when they come. But the fact that you, you got a runnable fifteen among the games, which is just so far from what England would hope for from his exploits in the blast and from from that role, that it's like. It might be that that's that's they go away from him for a while, but that's also the nature of international cricket and that position in T20 cricket, I guess. I feel like he'll get another go, given the kind of as we've been saying the, the kind of paucity of options for that late order hitter role. I think they want to give him another another try at some stage. I think so, but I think it was telling that uh, Sam Curran was promoted above him in that decider. They kind of trust Sam Curran more at this yeah. stage and maybe see him as. Also a long-term option, but just as more qualified for the role at this stage as well, perhaps. Yeah, and IPL experience for, for Curran as well, which yeah. we know Morgan rates that stuff very highly in terms of kind of dealing with big match situations. Yeah, and uh, Sam Curran was making his T20 debut, which is easy to easy to forget. Uh, what, what do you make of the other debutants in this series? Matt Parkinson, Pat Brown, Tom Manton as well. Well, I didn't pull that many kind of all-nighters, but <laughs> I did see, I watched Parkinson bowl uh, in the fourth match of the series when he took four wickets. Yes. Um, and... Short boundaries, uh, he went the distance at times, but he kept tossing it up there. Uh, we've got a piece on how England is shaping up for the tw- T20 World Cup um, done by Ben Jones of Crickviz in our next issue. And he picks out that Parkinson was bowling slower than anyone has in T20 internationals since the 2016 World T20. So it, he is bowling unusually slowly. And I think at times he will take a bit of tap as a result. But England just want him to take wickets, uh, which he did in that game, took four didn't bowl a huge amount of overs in the series, but ended up with five wickets. Uh, and I think that looks really promising. And him, I reckon there's probably room for him, Rashid and Moen in, in their in their squad. Mm-hmm. Um, but it'll be fascinating to see which of the two that they pick in their kind of in their starting lineup. Um yeah, with with Parkinson again, it was that fourth match that really you know, him bowling slowly. Sometimes with spinners, um, in international cricket you kind of see them sort of especially in T twenties, they sort of just get through their overs and even the wrist spinners, they, you know, a Rashid Khan type of leg spinner, he sort of bowls quickly almost to the point where he's a medium pacer. Um, with Parkinson, he bowls slow enough for you to sort of take in the flight, you know, see the spin, see the drift. Um, and it was quite, it was just fun to watch, really. Um, and especially with Adil Rashid, sort of whether this shoulder issue is, you know, still a thing. Um, like you say, it'll be interesting to see how they sort of, you know, configure that, that lineup. Um, it'd be quite quite fun to watch two wrist spinners go for it. Yeah, I, th- I think in Australia as well as where Parkinson can always be most suited because of how big some of those playing areas are, that's when you really want to be encouraging batsmen to try and hit you into the deep almost. And then if you can fool them, then that's when you get your rewards. Whereas in at like uh, Eden Park, if you fool them, then they, you go 10 rows back rather than 20 rows back, you know. It's a, uh, so I think it's encouraging encouraging signs for him. Uh, the others, Tom Banton, what do you think? Um, we didn't get a kind of a notable score, did he? But he scored quickly in the power play when he was in, which is which would be his role. Um, he's obviously a massive talent. I, I can't quite see how he's going to get into this World Cup squads, given the top order options we've already discussed, and also the fact that Milan was by far and away the, the standout batsman in in the series for England. He feels like it feels like Milan has gone above Vincent Billings, and that Banton is probably a little way off. Um, but there's plenty of time. I mean, he's going to play a lot of matches for England. Uh, in 50 over and 20 over and who knows might turn into a, 
a long form player along the way as well. Yeah, Banton's issue is just that he's he's an opener, really, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, it's just his position. Yeah, and do you, do you think there's is there scope for a player's going to start moving down the order? I mean, it's not it's the plum place to bat, especially in the blast, but a player's going to want to start coming in at number four and show what they can do. So. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it could even influence how things go in the hundred. Um, that that surely sort of factor into how England select their World Cup squad, right? It will have to, yeah. and that's the thing. There is there's kind of the double the amount of T20, albeit hundred ball, but T20 cricket to be played before the World Cup that we would usually have in the summer. So there is there is definitely a chance for someone to make a, a late run. It's just when you look at the players that England have got in that top order, it's very hard to see any of them being dislodged unless there's an injury along the way. Yeah, okay. And then uh, I think Pat Brown is the one debutant we haven't talked about. Did, did you did you make much of him? What would you think? I guess, you know, for him, it's just a learning experience again. You know, for all these young guys, I don't think they were expecting all of them to come off. You know, you just hope for one or two. And I guess that's what they've seen with Banton um, and Parkinson. So, I mean, I, th- I still think, obviously, he deserves a few more chances before we really sort of nail him down. As How he goes in the Big Bash will dictate a lot of this as well. If he, if he, if he does get a, a shot out there, I can't remember who he signed for. Melbourne Stars. Melbourne Stars. If he gets a chance there and does well, then just as we're talking about the 100, you don't have to play for England well to move up the order for, for England, uh, up the pecking order. So if he goes well there, there's still there's still a chance. And the bowlers, certainly the, those positions are much more up for grabs. It feels like a more kind of even race in that sense. Sakeem Mahmood was the other one we haven't haven't mentioned yet, who was expensive in the power play. He bowled, he bowled a really good over in the in the decider when everyone was going for us. And I think he ended up with figures of one for 20 from two overs, which in a shortened game is kind of like very impressive. Might even be the most economical bowler on show all night and kind of the first baldy bowl was kind of like a top-edged bounce that went for four and you're kind of like oh this is just going to be another one of those days but yeah he, uh, he pulled it back really well there so i think i think he's at least i don't think that t20 is his game i think he's a very very good 50 over bowler and could well be a really good test bowler um but there's enough to see that he might be a success at international level if not d20 level for me i think it was a good deal quicker than the rest of england's attack yeah, but he? I think not quite as quick as people might have hoped. He wasn't like pushing 90 miles an hour at any point. I think he was more like mid to high 80s, which is still quick enough, isn't it? Yeah. It's, uh... And obviously we'll have Archer coming back yes. in who offers that, that genuine pace. So perhaps that's less of a necessity when he's in the side to get to get Mahmood in there. Yeah. Um, but sh- sh- should we talk about Milan? And, sh- and should, we, should we talk, should I talk through his, his week to start with? So he started by signing for Yorkshire and giving a, a parting shot to Middlesex as he left. We said... Uh, he said, I've been banging my head against a wall for a wee while about his time as captain of the club. Which a is wee a, while? Yeah, yeah it's, it's nice, whimsical, but also a little bit bitchy. It's nice. Yeah. It? Um, and then went and got 100. And then even having got 100, his uh, former Middlesex teammate, Owen Morgan, had some loaded comments before the fifth turning. And he said, if we get guys that are not running off the last ball of the game because they want to get a knot out, that's something to address. Uh, so, yeah, it's quite quite a lot to... To, to unpack that I mean <laughs> firstly how, how big a crime is not running off the last ball of a T20 one of those things that like I guess for England quite a big crime because they tie about half the time well, they play yeah. these <laughs> well no but exactly that's that's the point we know how tight these games often are I think it's, it is uh, it is something that Morgan is right to address it's the sort of thing that would piss you off in a club game if a player doesn't do that so when you're playing for England and it's all about the Morgan ethos that, that personal landmarks aren't the be on and end all shouldn't really come into the equation it's all about the team and speaking to Jason Roy at the start of this summer he said very similar things Bairstow says the same and there's an element of you expect them to say it but I think there is there is a truth to it as well um, what surprised me is that Morgan did it in public that that for me didn't feel 
it's not what you expect from Owen Morgan because he never says anything that he doesn't want to. He never gets dragged into a situation. So he's obviously gone into that interview thinking, I'm going to make that point publicly. He basically volunteered it as well, didn't he? It's yeah, not like, yeah, exactly. So that that for me, that's quite interesting. And then you say, well, Milan obviously hasn't been that popular at Middlesex recently. Is, is there something going on there? But again, that'd be very unlike Morgan to, to bring in a kind of personal gripe into a public um, kind of press conference. Uh so I, I think it's just something that really irked him and that's not what he wants to see from his team and felt that this was the right platform to, to make that point. If you didn't know anything about Dawood Milan a week ago, this whole there's this whole personality of him that's been cultivated in the last week um, from Nick Compton tweeting, good luck Yorkshire, um, upon Milan's announcement um, to then Owen Morgan's comments. Um, and yet then we still see Milan the batsman who is, you know, quite the batsman. Um, Highest... Uh, T20i average of all time now. Well, yeah, because he gets all these knots out, doesn't it? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you would do, wouldn't you? So it's, you know, it is an incredibly mixed week, isn't it? Like, you know, you, you've had probably one of the your best international performance, you know, like and people are talking about Root or Milan, which is quite the question. Um, and yet you still have this sort of, I guess, yeah. title being thrown around about you being difficult, I guess. Do, do, is, is he now nailed on for that for that World Cup squad? Or I mean, there's no, a lot, I don't lot of cricket so. between now Yeah, that's it. I think there's so much cricket to be played, and, it, and even now, if they were picking their starting eleven for the first game of the World Cup tomorrow, it's still debatable whether he'd be in in the starting team. I think um, he also doesn't seem to be massively popular. If he's not seen as a team man, then Morgan will have no qualms at all in not in not picking him. Yeah, I do. I do feel for him because I think that as much as he might have legitimate gripes with England. His struggle has been being basically in the top 10 batsmen in England for the past like five years or so, but maybe not quite at any point being truly established in like, the top six, which means that he's always been on the cusp. And so I can see why he feels hard done by it, but I can also see where they're coming from if they do leave him out. It's a really tricky one. Being It's, it's hard being down Milan, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and he, I know... He, you always want to bang your head against the wall. <laughs> <laughs> for a wee while. Uh, and I know from an interview that you did with Milan, I think, where he, he quoted some very specific stats at yes. you. So these are clearly in his mind as something that he needs to to, to kind of justify his call-up because he feels hard done by, rightly or wrongly. And then that that then comes into play when you think about him not running off the final uh, delivery of the, uh, the innings, that actually th- there probably is something a bit to it, that he is really thinking of, of his average. Uh, and that hasn't gone down well. Yeah, it's, it's tough as well because that intense motivation and like desire to succeed is what's driven him on to sort of make the most of his talent and to, and to keep going when he's not getting the call-ups and stuff and to keep succeeding from Middlesex so th- these things that it's a double-edged sword is like if you're not a, caring about your own success to too great an amount then you're not going to get any runs because you're just throwing your wicket away every time you know it's a it's a, it's a tough one but um it's that whole thing about having you know great center forwards in football you know they've got to be selfish to score I bet you know they're doing it for the team at the end of the day really. and that's always what they say about great batsmen as well that they're yeah. selfish but I think perhaps particularly in T20 I think that, that that's changed a little bit mm-hmm. as well you've got to think of kind of maximising every possible opportunity in such a short format to get as many runs on the board as possible Joe what's your moment of the week or oh, my moment of the week uh, in amongst kind of general elections impeachments there's got a big story that has slipped under radar that Chris Wokes the, the cleanest cut man in, in English <laughs> cricket has now got a beard. Yeah. Can you imagine such a thing? It's amazing. I love how this story <laughs> broke in a way because there was a... Because <laughs> he walked out with a beard. That's how it broke. <laughs> well, but there's a few journos out there who are sort of saying like, 
so there's rumbling saying like Chris Waits has got a beard but then there weren't really any proper pictures there was a big team shot and people having to like really really zoom in to see like a grainy Chris Waits with the beard and then the warm-up game comes and then you see in in all its glory and I mean it's not it's not like a it's not that it's, glorious no, is it it's like, quite wispy yeah. uh, I, either he pulls it off I, I mean he's that, obviously he pulls it off he, yeah. people have been quite critical and I, I've called it the beard that's smeared Oh, because it's been smeared by other people? Yes, yes. Not because it looks like a smeared no, beard. No, 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 That's been criticised. I see, yes, I see. In that sense. Um, yeah, I mean, I think he's obviously up against Sam Curran for, for this test spot in the in the first test against New Zealand. So I wonder if there's kind of, he's trying to show that he's the, the senior bowler because obviously Sam Curran can't, can't <laughs> grow a beard. It's the point. But on a, on a serious point, obviously that isn't exactly my moment of the week. But, <laughs> but the debate of uh, Wokes v Curran and who plays in that first test uh, is probably... Oddly for an England team, the only one that's really up for grabs um, in this side. Uh, and, well, we've all written something for the website. Jokes, Joe, jo, you're, you're firmly Chris Wokes. I think I'm Sam Curran. Taha is undecided, or have you got an opinion? Uh, I, I'm still undecided at this point. Yeah. <laughs> Keeping his cards close to his chest. Uh, <laughs> Phil was Curran as well, which surprised me. I, I think, for me, yeah, I don't think there is that much of a contest in 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 the sense that uh, I think of Curran as more of a, a fourth than a third seamer at this point. I think you run the risk of if Curran plays and goes for a few and the ball doesn't swing that much, then Stokes ends up bowling a lot of overs and that's not the best way to get the most out of him as a batsman. And so then you're like, for me, it's just who is the superior bowler. I know Curran's got the left arm angle, which is obviously handy, but Wokes for me is by far the superior bowler at this stage. And it's the classic thing with Wokes, which he's had throughout his career, that you can kind of forget how good he is quite quite easily. And he was a bit rusty over the over the summer but only played five first-class matches, all of which were test matches. So that's quite under that kind of spotlight to find your form, having bowled so much with the white ball and bowled so many overs in the World Cup was, was quite a challenge for him. So I think, and the other thing is he's got a terrible record away from home in test cricket, averaging high 60s yeah. compared to low 20s at home. Yeah, at, at, at home he's basically kind of Gary Sobers. It's incredible. <laughs> but there is no reason why Chris Wokes can't be good in New Zealand. No reason at all. Yeah. So for me, he plays the first test. My thing with with Curran is, I, I think I, I I'm probably a subscriber to your point. Is for me, I think you need a fine spot for him at, at number seven. I just feel like that's that's where he's suited to play. Um, I, again, as a, as a fourth seamer who kind of, you know, he has been picked as a bowler in in England's test side so far, but. You know, the thing always comes back to is, is batting is, is what has bailed England out on quite a few occasions. And you feel his bowling is sort of just an additional thing. He'll come in and get you a wicket out of, out of nowhere. I think we're going to be talking about what Sam Curran does in this England side for quite a lot of years. Yeah. Because because we're talking about him, Tara and me were talking about him as a fourth seamer. But that is what Stokes is in this side. So there isn't really a fourth seamer spot and probably won't be for the foreseeable. So Sam Curran's either got to be a kind of four stroke fifth seamer. And then you're like, well, that's more options than you need or he's got to just become a batsman really yeah. which he might well be good enough to do yeah I think I think for me it's just getting to the point where England can't really leave Sam Curran out of almost any any side they pick if they, if they want to win games I mean he's, he's just that good a Christian I know he can't really work out what he is but he's, he's had kind of one bad test match which England lost in the West Indies and lost badly but apart from that he's kind of had an impact on pretty much every test he's played the England have won he's you can look and say Sam Curran has played a big part in and win that game even though he hasn't always done it in the same way and it hasn't always translated to like a, a a landmark performance or like a like a hundred or five or whatever I think he's a he's just he's just that good and he's just got he's, he's got that about him that he definitely hasn't he's a fantastic cricketer it's very tempting to get him to see me saying Wokes is no 
slight on Curran is just saying that Wokes is a, a fantastic bowler and we shouldn't forget that. Earlier this week, I spoke to Sir Alistair Cook, England's leading test run scorer, about the challenge Joe Root's team will face in New Zealand and why it's gotten so hard to open the batting in England. Hello, Alistair. Welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm going to start with probably the, the meanest question of the lot, which is uh, about New Zealand. And I want to talk particularly about opening the batting there. So that's the one country in your career where you average less than 30. Is it? I don't think less than 30. In New Zealand? I thought it was 27. Ooh, was the, you're probably right. I think maybe the 2018 tour just brought it under. Ah, disappointing. Yeah. Disappointing. <laughs> Is it as hard opening the batting there as that makes it sound? Um, no, not particularly. Um, I think this is just probably one of those coincidences. I, didn't, I, yeah. I suppose that stat uh, of the last four games, I didn't get double figures in, in, that, in that tour, so on that tour. So I'm surprised it was quite as low as that. I, I did, did remember getting 100 there, but mm-hmm. you're probably right. I'm never going to argue the guy, <laughs> the guy who's got the stats in front of him. But yeah, I think it's just one of those things. It's disappointing probably on my side, but um, it's normally a good place to bat. It's probably quite similar to English conditions in terms of the... the the pitches and stuff, just obviously the, the different ball, but you'd say the Kookaburra ball would, would do less in general uh, than a Duke's ball. But yeah, I think that's just showing my lack of talent, maybe. <laughs> and they, those new ball bowlers are pretty good in Tim Bolt, uh, Trent Bolt and Tim Southey. They're up there with the best in the world, I guess. Yeah, as, as, a, as a, a combination, yeah, they're not express pace, but they've got great control and they swing the ball. And, you know, any time you're facing bowls who swing it uh, is makes makes a difference you know move the ball so yeah, those two are particularly they've always punched you know the good old saying punching above their weight as a side from their resource and stuff but I've, I've really enjoyed playing against them. you know we've always matched up well I've had some great series I thought that 2015 series in England was mm-hmm. you know a brilliant a brilliant series uh, that great game at Lords like was it Mad Monday or something where it was £10 a ticket and Lords kind of made a noise which I've never heard Lords yeah. make a noise probably it's kind of similar to obviously not quite as much as the World Cup final but yeah, look, I, they're a great side. It was a great country to go and tour. Maybe I was enjoying off the field too much <laughs> rather than on, concentrating on the field, those stats. And it, it feels like it's an attack as well because Neil Wagner just has that short ball that he can bowl over and over again. So if you're not good on the front foot, then Bolt and Southie get you. If you're not good on the back foot, the other will get you. Yeah, they're, 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 they're balanced well. Um, you know, with They've got options. They've got options with the way... Uh, obviously, I know Wags pretty well from playing for Essex uh, and... You know, that that relentless bouncer thing knows you know what's coming as a batter, but it's actually quite hard to play because he he finds that length incredibly well. I know it sounds silly that length, but that bounce length you can have your two of the over, but he constantly is around your your, your shoulder, and so he doesn't get, you know you're not having you haven't used your two up in the first two balls. So you know he you know they, they they're a very effective side, and I think it'd be another good test of kind of English kind of the the start of this next cycle as it always is. And I fine with him as well because he's not he's not as quick either as some of the other people you think of having terrifying short balls he's almost like the Glenn McGrath of bouncers and like there's no easy out in a way it's like a... there's no easy out with the field he has mm. you know he has he has basically all options covered he doesn't probably won't he might have one slip at the most but he'll have a third man have the fine leg he'll have a, possibly if you take it on he'll have a square leg just in front of square catching the man behind and a, a mid wicket even a deep mid wicket as well like and a short leg, depending on the thing, probably won't bowl the mid off if he's going totally on there. And just been having that as an option for for a New Zealand captain is great because then you've got the control of Saldi and Bolt. Um, you got that. You got you know, Colin de Gromham bowled against us last time that series. You know, just medium pace us on English style wickets where if you if you bang the top of our stump, you're you're in the game. So it's it's going to be a it's going to be a good series for England to to play. 
Yeah. And I want to talk about opening the batting in general around the world. Do you feel like it conditions got harder as your career went on? Well, certainly the pitches in England changed mm-hmm. um, over the last few years. You know, the tendency to to leave grass on the wicket, to keep pace in it, to get the ball moving for our seamers, which is our world-class strength. If the ball moved for um, Jimmy and, and Stuart Broad, you know, they were incredibly hard work. If the ball didn't quite move, you know, on flatter wickets, that the point of difference to other teams, you know, say in Australia time when they're growing up playing on hard, bouncy wickets, was the pace or the thing. But you know, if actually their super strength as a, well, our super strength of an England bowling side would be how many times that we hit that perfect length, and and it's probably a lot higher than everyone else. So we always got twenty wickets to win to, to win to win a test match in uh, in any test matches. I'm talking the obvious here. To, you have to get twenty wickets. So when the ball moved, we're guaranteed to get twenty wickets. And it's a case of having to just get a score one more run than the opposition. So mm. uh, it's uh, it made it for exciting cricket. I also think the pitches changed a little bit in England. I think over the, my my career, they could. You know, I remember looking or starting a career was. You know, the, the pitches tend to have a little bit more pace on with less grass. Mm-hmm. And I don't know whether... I, I'm blame, I always blame the drainage systems on this. The, the new drainage for the outfield has, has changed the structure of the square underneath. And everyone said, well, the drain... Like, or you t- talk to a groundsman and they say, well, that, that's not true because the, the there's no drains underneath it. But if you keep taking water away you know, from the outfield, yeah. you'd see it must have an effect on the square. So pitches for in, in England to have... To have that pace, to have that carry, which, you know, for the Knicks to carry, you needed to leave a, gra- a bit more grass or a green tinge, and therefore it moved around. So it definitely got harder. But uh, it made it more exciting cricket, I think, actually, the last three or four years. I mean, I don't know. You'll have to, you could have the stats in front of me <laughs> after you started the interview with the stats. That how many draws there have been in England over the last three or four years compared to, say, the th- first three or four years of my career. Is, is that contributed to a large amount of why England have struggled to find a long-term Open it. It's just it's just so hard to do. Basically, it's hard to. Well, it's hard to. It is hard to have continual success against the world class ball, the Duke's ball, mm. on those things. And you know, not only, but I think if you look at it, like our openers probably score more runs than the opposition openers yeah. in general over those four years, which is always a good benchmark. Um, I think, but it has it has made it tough for for um, guys coming in and. Um, but you know, it goes in cycles, doesn't it? Like there's, it's just what it is. Mm-hmm. So it's, you can't moan about it. It's just made it has made it harder for the guys coming. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. And do you think that we may need to just reduce our expectations? Because when there's you at the other end and all the middle order batsmen coming in, it's a bit easier. Maybe an average of thirty and facing about seventy balls is a pretty good return for well, an opener in England. Well, I, I think. I mean, you always want to set world class standards and. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't think if you offered that to Rory Burns or Dom Sibley or Zach Crawley, you're going to average 30, but you're going to face 70 balls. Mm-hmm. I don't think they'll take that because yeah. their job, your job as an opener is to score hundreds. There's mm-hmm. no doubt about it. It doesn't mean it's easy. Or, you know, it's probably the hardest place to bat as a, as a top order player. England, possibly South Africa on the same kind of the level as that. So it's never going to be easy. Um, and I think you're also seeing a bit of coinciding with you know what's happened with the... With the, the arrival of T20 cricket and you know like 2003 it started in England you know mm-hmm. I was uh, when I was growing up all I ever watched was T10, uh, T test I was watching test cricket mm-hmm. so all my training was you know I played test cricket if you played a T20 game at 13 it was still see off the first seven overs you know <laughs> build a little bit and, and now it's not you have to play all the shots in the book to do it so if, as a young player coming through you've got the excitement of T20 or the 100 or, or one day cricket uh, and that is, a, that is a proper area of game where probably when I first started it was all about test cricket. So if you're if you're looking at uh, players 
development and looking at players' practice when they're you know, 14, 15, 16, 17. If you took my practice, it'd probably be predominantly 90% Red Bull stuff. So, mm-hmm. But now, you're, you just even if you split it 50-50 between red and white ball cricket, you are reducing the amount of times you're hitting Red Bulls and you're ruining that technique and your techniques changes. So I think that that is definitely a, a thing about it. But I... I don't. I I personally don't seem to. I don't mind it as much as say the other the next generation back because Test cricket in my eyes has got more exciting over the mm. last few years. Less draws, scoring rates have gone up. Um, so and there's more wins and losers, which wins and losses, which I think is a good thing. Yeah, and is, is there a challenge when the openers are sort of choppy and changing a bit in getting used to a? A new opening partner, or is it mostly just about your own game? Well, you know, it's all you, you do bat with other people. You know, mm. it's a uh, you don't just bat the opener. I think the it's more for the team, isn't it? The, the crucial start. If you're getting the bowlers into their second and third spell, and mm-hmm. you've and you've only lost two or three wickets, you know, there's a mindset for a bowler thinking this is going to be a long day. Now, this is going to be a long day. You probably aren't operating at 100. percent You've got to conserve energy, thinking you're going to bowl 25, 30 overs a day in in in, in innings. Sorry, um, if you don't, you know, if suddenly if you're 80 for five, those levels, you know, you're probably not going to bowl the whole day. So you can <laughs> stay low. So you operate at high levels. So yeah. it's a crucial role. It's not who the the chopping and changing is just the solid platform. If you get a solid platform in Test cricket, in any, in you know, not just say in England, in in India or New Zealand as they're playing in Australia, it just is so vitally important. And I think you're going to see a slightly different setup of England playing in this, like this New Zealand series. I think the game plan will be as you, you're almost giving Rory Burns, whoever bats with him, Joe Denley, um, Zach Crawley, Dom Sibley, whoever they go with. A real con- you are those top three is to face as many balls as you can as a game plan to let you know people like Joe Root bat four Ben Stokes whether he bats you know Johnny Bairstow whoever comes in Josh Butler if you've done your job for the team is to face many balls as a, as a real um, as a kind of game plan for England going forward and I think Chris Silver would be very strong on that yeah and what, was there any sort of set advice you'd have for the opening batsman coming in with something to- well if I, if it was it wasn't very good as I had thirteen <laughs> or fourteen of them partners so um, no. no. You know, I, I always go back and question that as as a, a in my career. Did I offer the right advice, or did I say enough, or not too much? Because ultimately, the guy at the other end, you, you can't hold his hand. He's got to mm-hmm. face up to Mornay Walker or first ball, or whoever, or Trent Bold or Mitchell Stark, and whatever you talk about in a meeting, or you talk about as you in the middle. You know, if you're based on the non-strikers end, there's nothing you can do. So, and the last thing you'd want to, I was very aware of the guys coming into play that I'd had a, you know. A slightly longer career and played a few games, and of changing their the way they played in their first couple of games, they've got to kind of suss it out themselves. You know, you because that's just that is the nature of the beast. There's no other way of doing it. Yeah. So it looks like maybe England have found one opener in Rory Burns, and I want to talk about his summer in maybe a bit of depth because he had the struggles against Ireland, and people say maybe he had one test to sort of stay in the team, and then gets that emotional hundred in it. Must all have all have felt quite familiar. <laughs> well, I I think it just shows kind of the level, the difference between county cricket and international cricket. Um, that Rory Burns thing that you know he did pretty well in Sri Lanka and West Indies on 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 dodgy wickets. They they weren't they weren't front to bat on. I I was lucky enough to be in the West Indies for a couple of games, and it was you know it wasn't easy. It mm. was you know, particularly hard. You know I, I was lucky. I did a couple of first Test matches. They were belting wickets, so you can kind of see how kind of luck plays a part. And then he. Then he plays one test match against Ireland and, and gets two low scores, which can happen. Mm-hmm. That happens to every batter. You have to, and suddenly, like you're looking on Sky Sports and they're saying, uh, "Well, NASA, I think had opener A and opener B. Mm-hmm. Didn't know who's going to play in the Ashes next week." And 
I was, I, you know, it's incredibly unfair in terms of, but that's the scrutiny you go through as a as a international player. That's what you sign up for. That's what happens, and it's how you deal with it. And he dealt with it the best way possible. Going out the next time he played, when people thought, well, if he can't score runs against Ireland, he's never going to score runs against Australia, and played a brilliant innings. And he faced a huge amount of balls. He was brave. He was gutsy, uh, and so was Joe Denley as well. So it's um, it's a huge encouragement to watch. And a person he'll only grow into that role the more and more. He, he plays, and I think obviously he's going to get the backing of, of I, I think the England management. Yeah, and did did you feel echoes at all of I guess that hundred against Pakistan in two thousand and ten? Yeah, I, I think throughout your career you have you have moments, don't you? Defining moments where if it went the other way, you know things could turn could have turned out differently. If mm. I hadn't scored that hundred in that game or the. I think the next game at Lords, um, then possibly I wouldn't have been on that tour to Australia. And you know, six months later, you know, we'd won Australia, we won in Australia. So uh, it, that's again. I mean, Andrew Strauss in New Zealand. You know, he he was banging at three. Got a, he got a naught in the first innings, and he told apparently he told his his wife that night that he's playing his last innings, and he ends up getting 170. Yeah. Then you know, almost a little bit later, England captain wins two England tours. You know, and then. And it's amazing, Paul Collingwood at Trent Bridge. You know, there's people who, that last chance loon, score hundreds, and that's what kind of defines cricketers, defines inter- the difference between international cricketers and people who have successful careers, because there's going to be times where you don't score runs. That's that's because you are playing against world-class bowlers, uh, and they're going to get the better of you at some stage. Yeah, and is, is that part of what makes players how they can just put that criticism out of their mind or, or do you put that criticism out of your mind well, or you do back with it there? Well, you, you can't put the criticism out of your mind. I think, you know, again, another difference from when I started was, was social media. You know, I, I, I never read the press when I first started playing, but towards the end of my career, there's, there's no avoiding it. I'm not even on social media, but you, you know what's going on. So you have to kind of front up, embrace it and, and, and deal with it. Like you can't, you can't avoid it. You just have to accept it as part and parcel of a thing. It's just trying to let it, let it into your bubble. However you deal with it, um, I don't think you can just totally ignore it anymore. I think you have to kind of front up to accept it and then say, well, that's not going to affect me when I'm facing the next ball, which is ultimately the most important thing. So you must put some criticism out of your mind, but you also need to recognise when there's an issue and you need to change something. So I think the thing I was wondering is, does, is every player kind of constantly tinkering with their technique a bit or are there some players who come in about the same way throughout their career and make loads of runs? Well, I think you tinker every day. I think there's always that balance, say, from a left from a right, left hander, sorry, you're balancing how open you want to stand, the ball swinging in so you don't get on the hit on the pad. Mm-hmm. You set up a little bit for that de- delivery and then that makes you more susceptible to nicking or not, nicking off. And then if you nick off a few times, you might change your, 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 your setup to stop stop nicking off you might be becoming LBW and obviously you can change it to certain bowlers but that's kind of what you tinker with in general like there's no ever there's never a golden ticket there's never a golden answer to any of this so you you kind of if you are if, if you're a player you're searching for that golden answer you never find it mm-hmm. uh, and it's it's kind of wasted but you are constantly looking to improve you're constantly looking to try and tinker things I, I had a massive technique change in 2009 uh, for a bit uh, and then uh, I didn't like it, so I went back to my original one, which in my mind cleared up that actually my original technique, which has served me pretty well, was the, was the best player I could become. You you kind of hone that rather than try and search for different things. So I'm not saying that you shouldn't search, or but you do have those moments uh, where it becomes very clear. It became clear in my career that actually, no, my slightly dodgy techniques, all my movements 
was the best player I could become and I, and I stuck with that and just constantly trying to find things of trying to hit the ball well for that game if that makes sense yeah and and do you miss it not, not in the sense of are you going to come back but the scrutiny and the the high quality of play and that sort of thing uh, I don't miss the scrutiny um, I think you miss the you miss the dressing room and you miss the environment of playing for England and your identity of that there's no doubt about it but you know I was so lucky with the way it finished um, for me obviously that oval test match was real closure for me actually in my career and uh, I'll, I'll, unfortunately it's a really sad thing to say but I was ready to go mm-hmm. I was ready to go to the next step step in my career I played a hell of a lot of cricket quite for quite a young stage I didn't miss much cricket um, and, I, and, I, and I was ready for the next stage of my life and um, and to go out with that kind of kind of just close the book for me I didn't you know a lot of players unfortunately uh, no matter how successful a career is get the tap on the shoulder and say we don't want you anymore you're dropped uh, so to make that decision um, on your own with the happy and your peace with it and then you go out and you win the game and you score some runs kind of you know the last time I ever batted for England I scored 100 which kind of for me no regrets and has made the transition period a lot easier yeah did you feel like having made that decision made batting easier in that last innings I don't know about that I just think <laughs> Pop psychology, conditions yeah. conditions w- were slightly easier mm-hmm. uh, and I've never doubted that I could score runs. That was never that was never the doubt on my day. Uh, I could score runs, um, but I, I maybe maybe I fo- focused my that mind 0.5 percent when I was maybe in the other games leading up to it, thinking about thinking about other stuff. But mm-hmm. I'd like to have said that when I was actually facing the ball, I wasn't thinking about other stuff. Which... Yeah. Going now to the beginning of your career and uh, when you were sort of striving to get inside. I mean, even the Essex teams begin with you must have played a lot of club cricket and what what how much did that play a role in honing you and how important is it still going forward for like the English national team and also just cricket in England as a whole yeah well I was you know back garden cricket for me was where I started you know, mm-hmm. I used to watch my dad play uh, for for great Tottenham a little bit and then back garden cricket took over the older brother younger brother and and we played and obviously I, you just played and played and played along with other sports as well but when you're slightly better at one sport you kind of you kind of stick there and then yeah, you end up getting involved in in schemes, you know, uh, Morden Cricket Club at eleven. Um, well, I suppose Wickham Bishop's first, and you know, people, you know, that is the real true bits of grassroots cricket. You know, turning up to a cricket club at eight, and people, you know, teaching you the game as well, and be involved in the team. Uh, on that way, then I went to Morden, obviously involved in the Essex setup, and I was so lucky to to have that kind of pathway. You know, lucky to have that opportunity to play cricket. The amount of kind of the memories that's given me um, and experiences is, is incredible and I think kind of kind of brings on to the fact that without without people putting time into my game when I was younger mm. you know I'll never have achieved what I do and you know it's it's, it's 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 vital and we need kids to be playing more and more you know we need to get kids introduced into cricket I'm not saying you're going to produce the next Ben Stokes or the next Joss Butler but they need to be given the opportunity to be outside playing sport and uh, I think that is that is vitally important well this year is the it's the 25th birthday of the National Lottery uh, and we spoke earlier obviously about my grassroots cricket growing up and uh, you know the National Lottery has put in 5.7 billion pounds of funding into into sport over the last 25 years and 
Uh, and without that funding, you know, facilities, you know, coaches, you know, wouldn't wouldn't have been there. Uh, and it's given me the opportunity to, to play cricket, given gymnastics, you know, judo, you name the sport. The national lottery has, has played a massive part in it. And it's just making people aware that, you know, you play the lottery and hoping to win the to, to win the million, the millions. But actually, it's a bigger cause than that. You know, to to fund grassroots sport in England is so. Uh, and the UK is so important. So, um, you know, I wouldn't be here, I'm sure, at some stage without some of that funding, the facilities at Malden Cricket Club or whatever. It, it, it is amazing. So, um, yeah, that is the 25th birthday this year, and it's uh, going from strength to strength. Cool. Uh, thanks very much for joining us. No worries. Taha, what's your moment of the week? Uh, my moment of the week was yesterday, 16-year-old uh, Nassim Shah for Pakistan, um, playing against uh, Australia A, um, quite... In playing in quite tragic circumstances, actually, um, his mother passed away on on Monday, I believe, um, and he was withdrawn. He was he was listed to play in the match, withdrawn from uh, play on the second day. So, uh, withdrawn from play on the second day, so he didn't bowl um, against Australia in their first innings, um, but then came back in on the third day, the third and final day, and just bowled this eight over spell. I think um, took one for twenty one, I believe, and he was just. You know, just it's got six, it, hasn't it? Just yeah, straight just away. Yeah, got it straight away. Um, pink ball, uh, never went off radar, bounce, quick, um, plenty of talk about his action, which uh, according to some people looks a lot like Shane Bond. Um, and, you know, Pakistan do this, you know, they sort of bring talents out of nowhere. How much has he played? Um, I think he's played about six. This was his seventh first class game. Right. I believe. Uh, made his debut as a 15 year old. Took six for in his second game, I think. Um, and you know Pakistan, they don't show any fear in sort of just if you're if you're good enough, you know you're old enough. Mm. Yeah. What what was the line from the press release that you saw? Um, like Pakistan are ready to unleash their next generation of pay, pay, pay sensations. sensations. Some, so, uh, something along those lines uh, that was released um, last month. And so there's two other teenage seamers in this test squad: Shaheen Af- Afridi, who we already know, it's a is a veteran now, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been around years. Um, and Musa Khan, who made his T20 debut. Um, last week um, who, and is also I think he bowls regularly over 140 clicks an hour um, so you know it's it's exciting I mean it's, it's India were the first Asian team to win a, a test series in Australia at the start of this year um, Pakistan have a, they have a horrendous record horrendous they, they come they get beaten and you just feel maybe if they just I don't know just go you know hell for leather pick three teenage seamers who are very very quick um, it might just cause a few problems, and it, and it you know it it looked like it did during that tour game. Do you give them much chance against the Aussies when the, the full series gets going? I mean, an Australia side with Smith and Warner, <laughs> no, not really. Yeah. Um, if you know, if you'd play them against the Australian team that played last, you know, last the Australian summer, beat. the one that Indian beat. Yeah. Um, you never know, especially because you know some of the guys, you know, Babarazam looks in in good in good nick and. You really need one, yeah, one of, of course. You you ideally want more than one, but one batsman to go really big and have a massive series. I could, you know, I could always do something. But against Smith and Warner, you'd still think probably not. Feels like Azarali needs to have quite a, a big. So he's now see installed test captain as, now. As captain. Yeah. Been out of form feels, for a while. It feels that yeah. way. I haven't seen his stats, but it feels like he. I mean, he was obviously in phenomenal form, kind of three three years ago, say three four years ago. But he's, it seems like on a kind of quiet run. And if you need, if you're going to win in Australia or even yeah. win a match in Australia, your experienced batsmen need to need to go big, bat for a long period of time. And obviously against that Australian attack that we saw in England this summer, it's going to be yeah. 
going to be tough work. We should, uh, I think we should talk about the Barbarazam ton a bit more because it was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you haven't seen the highlights, yeah. you've got to go and find them. It was absolutely incredible. Just like the, the like just so many on drives. He got off the mark of his first ball with like a like a perfect on drive for four, and just basically played that shot throughout. But also there was the cover drive, the pull shot, the kind of the the back cut kind of thing. It was it was absolutely amazing. And the the best thing is is that it's in one of these the huge grounds in Australia with no crowds in there, so it just like echoes around it every shot he played. It was yeah, it's, it's amazing. So go go and find the highlights and watch those if you haven't seen them already. Um, but yeah, I think he 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 is the one that has to go and have a huge series and really establish himself properly as a Test batsman because he's like he's come on a long way. He's averaging about fifty in the past year or so. Had a pretty good tour of South Africa, but has yet to have that kind of defining series and really on pretty good batting decks. Even if Pakistan struggle, this could be that for for him. So I think it's a, a big moment in his career as well. Um. They two sides just finished a T20 series in which Pakistan continued their tumble when they're from being world number one to world number one in name only. They got smashed two 0 Steve Smith was player of the series, having just batted once, which is the kind of thing only Steve Smith can do. Yeah, <laughs> God, I saw some of the shots from that innings. He was playing some extraordinary yeah. shots. Yeah, that was incredible. Um, the Pakistan's decline is like bizarre. Like Fakhar's man, who was like a kind of a solid player for them up to this year, has averaged six point two five this year just like just like players completely losing all sort of form Shadab Khan as well um and I, I don't I mean it's hard to find one reason for it it's just kind of I guess the one thing is that they've had to have the downturn now so that they can then have their kind of customary come from nowhere spin. everyone writes them off <laughs> then exactly. go on and win it yeah. yeah it is amazing because particularly in T20 cricket where obviously by its very nature you, it's hard to put winning streaks together which when you think of this the the kind of stereotypes of Pakistani cricket of kind of blowing hot and cold to do that in T20 cricket over that period of time so consistently is, is an amazing achievement so then to kind of collapse as they have done blowing hot and cold yeah especially with Misbah now in charge as well I think people thought he'd kind of shake things up and set things straight which obviously it's, it's very early days but well, he has tried to shake things up, but it's just gone wrong. So, with yeah. the in in their T Twenty series against Sri Lanka, which was sort of a second string Sri Lankan side coming to Pakistan, um, he brought back you know Umar Akmal and Ahmed Shazad, who you know two guys who have been around the block and caused a lot of issues. But you know he gave them a chance, sort of like a clean slate thing, and and they didn't deliver. Yeah, I guess the one thing he does have is time on his side with a year to go. Like they kind of had to. I think in a way they had to make the coach change when they did, even though. It's going to harm their T20 World Cup chance, I think, because the start of a World Test Championship cycle, start of a World Cup cycle, like, and also with another T20 World Cup following soon on from the next one, you kind of had to make the choice now or make it really close to a global tournament as yeah. far as where they could have done it. But yeah, but then on Australia, they they looked pretty good, I think. I mean, having been pretty awful at it last year, and I mean, even if they're awful in the lead up to a global tournament, you know, they're going to kind of turn it on then. So I think they they look pretty well placed. They've got obviously Dave Warner and Finch opening the batting. Steve Smith looks like he's going to be able to come on as a T20 batsman. Uh, Alex Carey and Glenn Maxwell finishing off, and obviously they've got all the bowlers. Like I think they're they're pretty well placed for that tournament. I think. Yeah, and home advantage will will play into their hands as well. They're definitely one of the teams to beat. I mean, T20 World tournaments they they're just so open anyway. Uh, and I really I think it could be one of what five winners I would say in that in that tournament. Beyond the players, Justin Langer is a coach who's got you know excellent t20 credentials did a really good job with perth perth scorchers and i think they finished this year now australia unbeaten in t20s that's right so that's you know that's quite exceptional in itself yeah and uh we've had loads of teams playing t20 cricket recently west indies and uh afghanistan are playing one at the moment and india and bangladesh finished a series last week which india won 2-1 so bangladesh secured their first 
ever T20 I win over India in the first game and then India came back. Deepak Chahar took a hat-trick. Looks like he might be the one who could... Six wickets, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, the best ever T20I figures. Well, but the best ever men's T20I figures, you should say. Um, and then almost took a hat-trick two days after. And ev- everyone said he took a hat-trick and then they actually looked. So this was this was in the Syed Mushtakali trophy where there aren't ball-by-ball ball scorecards for. So it looked like he'd taken one on the third last, second last, and the last ball of the innings. But actually, the, the runs change in between two of them. So people worked out they bowled a wide. So uh, he, see. he had that ruined for him. Uh, but he, he looks a real talent and like someone who could actually make a claim for the first 11 and unseat some of those established quicks. Um, but one player who's had a difficult time for it is Shikha Darwan, who keeps kind of scoring like sort of slow 40s, which is almost like the cardinal sinister. You'd rather have your opener get a first ball duck every time than that. And I think it'll be interesting to see where India go with him in general, because he's 30, 34 or 35. It's obviously a long time till the next World Cup, uh, and he probably won't be around for that. And they've they've got loads of options that could have Carol Hall opening uh, or bring someone else into the middle order. It's a, It'll be an interesting one to see yeah, where, where they go with him. It feels like he's been on a slowish decline for a while. Now, I know that his numbers still aren't particularly bad, but when you've got such competition for places... You'll have Prithvi Shaw back on the scene pretty soon. He'd expect to be kind of um, knocking on the door pretty hard. Um, and Coley said before, as soon as a young talent who he thinks is good enough, he wants to play them. He doesn't want to leave them waiting for two years, three years, and then potentially go stale, which doesn't bode well for Doan over the next few months, I think. Yeah, I guess the one thing he does have is the snack is turning it on at global tournaments. He got the, the brilliant 100 again before being injured and getting ruled out and was... The leading run scorer at the 2017 and 2013 Champions Trophies, I think. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, yeah I mean, he's he's so experienced. Coley would probably want him just to have a monster IPL season or something, just to you know keep him in the reckoning, I guess. Um, because of that that record he does have, I think in Champions Trophies is something ridiculous. Um, and yeah, like you said, he did play a, a play a pretty significant role for India in the World Cup with that century against Australia, and then was out for the rest of it. Um and obviously before the men's twenty World Cup we've got the women's the women's big dance, the the, the women go first. That's Stop that's saying big dance. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> but as as that tunes up or as the teams tune up for that, India have taken a T twenty series against West Indies, which is quite an important sort of uh teller of form. Those two teams would both have quite a hopes going into it. And the big re- revelation was Shafali Verma, who hit two very quick half centuries in the first two games and she's fifteen years old. Uh, so she broke Sachin Tendulkar's record as the youngest half centurion for India in uh, in any format, which is a uh, pretty impressive. And she, so she she came to prominence, I think, through the um, the women's was it was it called the women's challenge? Is that right? The kind of IPL ex- exhibition exactly. game, yeah. yeah. And I remember Danny White after that innings. I think she scored like a quick thirty. Yeah. And Danny White saying she is going to be the next big thing in women's cricket. Like she's got it all, uh, and it's come around pretty quickly. I remember when we were putting together for Wisdom Cricket Monthly earlier this year our list of the best um, young women's cricketers in the world, we really wanted to get Verma in there because we, the talent is is obvious. But actually, there are so many good young female cricketers because they do tend to get their chance a little bit sooner than in men's cricket generally. And I remember debating this with Mel Jones. She was like, we, we can't put her in this year because we'd have to have put her in above someone who's actually played international cricket and she's still a kid. But I think if we were to do that list again today... <laughs> I think she'd already be quite quite high because she's already shown that she can do it in international cricket. Yeah, what what was amazing for me watching that was how Mandana was kind of content but also kind of forced to play the anchor role 
and it was just Vardy going for the big shots. And I mean, there's not many players in the world of any age that can kind of put put Mandana in the corner. So yeah, she's a hugely talented. Uh, England women have announced uh, their squad for a series in Malaysia against Pakistan, which includes Sarah Glenn, who bowls leg spin, which is notable of itself for England. They haven't had a specialist leg spinner uh, since Catherine Leng in 2003. Uh, Good stat, Ben. <laughs> yeah. uh, Char- Charlotte Edwards is their most prolific leg spinner of all time. Uh, she took quite a lot of wickets early in her career, didn't she? Yeah, ended with 75 international wickets or something. And I, I can't. I have no idea why England don't produce more female leg spinners. Every con- every other country in the world pretty much has one or two or more. And England just haven't had any of any description, not even kind of kind of close to a call up. It's, well, it's just interesting because yeah. they've got so many talented finger spinners. To the extent mm. Well, left arm spinners. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah. But she, so she, she obviously performed well in the Kia Super League. She's got in off, off the back of that, really. Yeah, she she did she did pretty well. She was Loughborough Lightning's leading wicket taker. She took eleven wickets last season, but that was her first properly good season. So she's still a bit of a punt, and she's still only twenty years old, I think. So hopefully, she is the future. But it's, I think England, uh, maybe they're recognising there is a problem, or it's just the case that whenever one came along they were going to pick them and see see how they got on i don't know if the next t20 world cup will be a bit soon or if she goes well they'll be like well we've got to have a wrist spinner especially in australia and uh well, and that's, that must be what they're thinking that door must be open yeah um so yes yeah, over to her now to yeah sometimes and she, she's one of those who should really benefit from these uh expanded list of contracts uh yeah. probably not in line for a central contract yet but that'll be that'll be really good for her. and also Fred, Fred davis is back having performed pretty well on debut in sri lanka and been the leading wicket taker uh, across all the teams in the Kia Super League and not having featured for the summer. Uh, and that's really exciting. She looks like a really exciting cricketer and good for her. Well, she's talked about as the kind of the successor to Catherine Brunt mm. um, at some stage, but you'd like the two of them to be playing quite a lot together before Brunt does um, decide to, to call it a day just to kind of learn from her and pick up that experience and and knowledge of bowling the way that Brunt has done for a decade or more now. Yeah. Uh, cool. So a couple of... Uh, off-field news items to cover. Well, one is sort of on-field, but Nicholas Poran's been banned for four games for, for ball tampering. You could, there was some footage that kind of came up on Twitter of him looking like he's shining the ball in his trousers, but then also scratching at the other side with his thumb. That was a, a bit naughty. And uh, he, admitted, he, he admitted it, didn't he? He said yeah. it was a, a stupid error of judgment. Um, they are pretty stupid errors of judgment these days because it feels like the chance of you getting away with it are pretty slim. And the punishments are, I'm not saying they're harsh. I think they're 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 fair, but they do get you get you get noticed now, and you miss games as a result. So yeah, it's probably not worth doing it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> pretty succinct. <laughs> <laughs> uh, test cricket is going to return to Pakistan for the first time in ten years, and symbolically, it's Sri Lanka who are returning there, having been the team who whose bus was attacked uh, by terrorists in two thousand nine to lead to this sort of spell of cricket being away. Uh, great news all around isn't it I guess and it looks like as well it'll be a, a proper full strength slang team rather than like a weekend one that went to there for the T20 and ODI series so it's not going to be kind of like a like just no, there's no question it's going to be like diminishing test cricket or anything this will be two teams and it should be a really good series as well I mean I think playing in Pakistan will probably help Sri Lanka more than playing in the UAE would with them being more of a team that can kind of go pound pound in a low scoring contest and make a big total yeah, yeah. it's always it's always kind of soulless watching Pakistan playing the UAE. I mean, there's been some great matches there over the years, but you know, there's just there's no one there. Empty stadium. Um, these two matches will be in Rawalpindi, Karachi. I mean, it'll be sort of a, a spectacle in itself. Um, and obviously, this this tour's come about um, originally 
uh, I think the plan for Sri Lanka was to go in October to play the tests um, and then the white ball leg in December. Um, but then they switched those around to sort of assess the security situation. Um, and obviously it's been confirmed today and I guess it's just going to be, you know, 10 more, you know, more than 10 years since that attack. Um, it's going to be quite, a, quite an emotional affair. And for a lot of these young Pakistani players, you know, finally they get to play I mean a few of them have probably already played um, limited overs games in Pakistan but to play test cricket I imagine will just be sort of something else well some of these teenagers we're talking who are playing for Pakistan now coming through they will barely remember they would never being, being played in probably in never seen country. it yeah. it's on 2009 yeah I mean they would have yeah. been seven Not, yeah exactly <laughs> Six, seven yeah <laughs> uh, and a bit of counter transfer news Hasib Hamid having been released by Lancashire at the end of the 2019 season has signed for Knott's which is, I guess, I guess, good that he's got a, a deal. Is, is, that, is that the right place for him? Do you think? Well, we'll see. I <laughs> guess uh, it. In some ways, it feels like a good move. I mean, not so, not the problem, not so a bit of a mess. Obviously, they have a, had a shocker of a season. Uh, so he'll be playing in Div Two, which is perhaps no bad thing initially. Uh, Nottinghamshire's batsman across the board did not fare well last year, so that's perhaps a little bit of a concern, uh, particularly their top order. They haven't really had prolific openers for a long time so you can absolutely see why they've gone for Hamid now it's just a case of fingers crossed and hope it all all comes back to him um, I still don't see any reason why it shouldn't but you just you just don't know something odd has happened here and we'll have to see if it it, it, it gets to the point where it definitely felt like he had to leave Lancashire and start again to have any chance of, of, of bringing it all back um, and, and now we've got to that yeah. phase and so so many people are just so desperate for him to succeed uh, I guess because the thing is, his, his talent is so obvious. You know, we've all seen it. We've seen it in Test cricket. So you just you feel like what what's gone wrong? It's kind of like I don't know. It's kind of like w- w- watching Space Jam. You know, <laughs> elaborate there. Yeah, oh, okay, fine. <laughs> um, it, ha- wait, have either of you not seen Space Jam? I haven't seen Space Jam. No, I've only oh. been on the uh, the great retro website they have, but I haven't actually seen Can't, it. cartoon thing. About yeah, so yeah. Yeah, uh, I can't believe I'm actually going to explain <laughs> Space Jam on this podcast. Um, so yeah, so Michael, you know. Um, all these basketball players from the NBA, they sort of lose their powers um, and the Looney Tunes are involved. I but see. Let's, yeah, but let's I let's see. move away from that. Basically, Asim Hamid's <laughs> really good at batting and he hasn't been very good for the last few years. And that, But it's still in there somewhere. And yeah. do the basketball players get it back in the yes. end? Yes. Right, so well, that's what I'm, so I'm kind of like hoping this, this move to Knots recreates the ending of Space Jam. Encouraging. Um, I'd suggest that everyone watch Space Jam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Cool. Yeah, I think there's, there's, two, there's two things for me with the Knotts move. One is that I wondered if he might have been better to do a slightly smaller club with a little bit uh, less scrutiny. Just you, there will be a lot more people sort of paying attention to what he's doing at Knotts, I think, than if he was somewhere else. And it just and the but the other thing is that Peter Moore's, although Knotts had a shocker last season, everyone says he's or so many people say that he's the best they've they've worked with from a, from a technical point of view. And if there is a technical thing there which what some people are suggesting that he maybe gets a bit too low against uh, the proper quicks which means that his hands get in the way and that sort of thing that he could be the guy to to rectify it but yeah I mean like, it'll be very interesting to see what happens anyway yeah well when he got his just when he got his century against Middlesex this year just the sort of the pieces that were written the sort of you know the, the outpouring the yeah. outpouring in, on social media um, you know if he just has a few good innings with knots you know you can always see it again I see you Hamid for England and all that kind of thing and I know you know first of all you just want him to get runs um, but I don't know and also I, in a couple of months Sibley and Burns will have the opening spots nailed down for the next 10 years so. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, but it's a good Fingers point, crossed. actually, isn't yeah. it? That like Zach Crawley was selected for England this season, having averaged thirty in the in the championship. So it wouldn't actually take a huge amount for the team to win a recall. Possibly. I mean, you, you could almost hope for his sake it like he should have a, a few years of churning out the runs, but it might be that England just get tempted if, if he does reclaim his form. Yeah, let's not get ahead of ourselves. No, no, I, I, people I say I, that every year now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, cool. Well, that is all from us this week. Uh, thanks very much, Joe, for joining me once thank again. Thank you, Ben. And thank you, Taha. Thank you, Ben. And thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed it, please tell your friends and subscribe. Podcast Network.